Golf Podcast, presented by Golficity, where we bring you the tips, instruction, and support you need to get the most out of your golf game. And now your hosts, Frank and Mike. Hey guys, welcome back to the Golf Podcast. This is episode number 355. Hope everybody had a great Christmas. Hope you got everything on your uh, oh, your yeah. wish list, oh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so we, get, we have... Uh, Exciting things. We're going to be wrapping up the year. Just next week, we're going to be doing our goals wrap up. Can't wait for that. That's always a fun episode where we look back at the year behind and we see what goals did we hit, which goals did we missed. It was kind of inspired a couple of years ago when we saw Justin Thomas do it, right? where he showed that, that major year he had maybe two, three years ago, and he showed all the goals that he had set for himself and, and, and how close he had come to which ones he had hit. And it's be kind of become an annual thing. And we've been doing the same, especially with using our shot scope data to see how many of those goals we hit. So we'll recap those. We'll talk about which ones we had. And also, we like to talk about some of the uh the personal goals of of golficity some of the things we did it was a no doubt a challenging year challenging year for everybody but we were able to make some things happen make some new and different forms of content so i'm excited to do that whole year wrap up yeah i can't wait yeah. can't wait to look back and look forward for sure so stay tuned for that next week this week we're going to talk about a, a topic that I quite enjoy, which is putting on fast greens. Do you um, love fast greens? I do. I like fast greens. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I just, I mean, I have some ideas of what it is, but when we play fast greens, I f- find that I, I putt better. Um, and I just, I also just tend to find that if you've got a course with really fast greens, it also tends to be uh, truer greens. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think one thing that is a personal challenge for me is if the greens aren't true if you find that different ones are rolling at different speeds or whatever it may be or there's unpredictability i don't mind speed as long as speed comes with predictability because at least i know what i'm up against but we'll recap in a few minutes here mike i want to talk about some of the fast greens we've played this year sure uh even or just overall because we've played plenty of them mm -hmm. and even some funny interesting tidbits about some things we learned about fast greens playing uh at the home of golf in Scotland, uh, some interesting stuff we learned from some groundskeepers and stuff there about how they can all, they can't make them too fast. They have to limit them a bit, and we'll tell you why. Mm. You know, remind me if I forget. Well, I want to get back to that in yeah, a second. Yeah, sure. Um, we're also going to do this week's Twitter tap in, uh, but before we do, want to thank our sponsor, Titleist. Guys, the TSA TSI driver represents the best of Titleist peerless pursuit of speed. They continue to invest in the minds, material, and the technology it takes to push the boundaries of speed while sacrificing nothing when it comes to performance. Built on that breakthrough advances of the TS, which if you guys have been following us closely, you witnessed both of Mike and I saw some great gains when we got fit for the TS series a little over 18 months ago, uh, but then going back and taking a new, fresh look at the TSI, which is a club that, although similar in name, has really been rebuilt from the ground up and as Titleist says, they're really taking what they learned with the TS and really starting to expand upon it. And some of those new materials, especially Mike, that new face, yep. that uh, it's just picking up a lot of ball speed off of that new face. And that sound it makes, that impact. Yeah, I think it's the hands down the best sa- sounding driver I've ever yeah. played. Mm-hmm. So you've got the TSI 2 and the TSI 3, both phenomenal clubs. I encourage you guys to check them out and get fit before you buy one because really there's not one better than the other. It really depends on the golfer. You've got to get out there. You've got to try both and see which one works for you. Um, so it's an investment in your game. It's going to pay dividends for years to come. I love having that driver as a real go-to club 
for me. Uh, and I think you guys will do the same. So make sure you check them out. Visit Titleist.com to learn more about the new TSI drivers. And guys, if you do get that opportunity to go out there and try it, you can, you can read all day about it. You can hear about it. But trust me, the difference is when you put it in your hands and you'll see what I mean, especially under someone who knows what they're doing, a good fitter. So especially going into 2020, look on Titleist website, find a Titleist Thursday near you mm-hmm. um, because the Titleist Thursdays are one of the best ways and it's free to try these clubs and really see what they can do by getting them dialed with shafts oh, and yeah. things like that. Absolutely. So it's great stuff. All right. Uh, this week's Twitter tap in which, by the way, guys, as we always say, if you're not already following us on Twitter, make sure you do so at Golficity uh, and you'll be able to jump in here on the conversation with the Twitter tap in every week. These are always fun, Mike. Always enjoy I these. love these. I'm reading through this one. Now. This is an interesting one. This one is. So this week we asked, uh, do you prefer to putt or chip from the apron of the green? And what conditions make you choose one versus the other? All right. So let's... Well, we'd like to start with us. Yeah. I'm going to ask you first. What do you think? What, do, I you think have, do you have a preference? I do. I mean, if I could putt, I mean, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the putter out. Yeah. You know, because something about... The, the, an apron is... is not a tight, tight lie, but it's it's not in the rough. And if it was in the rough, I mean, I love that. I love when the ball's propped up nice and I can take a nice 60-degree wedge, lift it up onto the green, stop it kind of short, you know, get it high in the air, whatever I got to do. When I'm on that apron, it's th- there's a number of different things that can go wrong right. with a wedge for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking putter all day. Yeah, there's no doubt about it that a tight lie chip with a wedge is a tricky shot. Mm-hmm. If you, I, I always say the idea is to practice it before you put it in into play on the course so i while i don't think it's something you should avoid learning just because you you putt well from the apron um because it's still a tool that can be used so i would say learn it practice it but don't go out there and do it without first being comfortable with the shot because it is a shot that can go really wrong you can blade oh, it yeah. across the green there's a yeah. lot of things that can go wrong um so it does you have to have familiarity with it um but it's all about going out there and, and going with what you're most comfortable with so if you practice it and you become comfortable with it then it's a tool Otherwise, you know, for me, I, I agree. The putting is is very similar. And we learned this. I mean, when we played uh, in Scotland, when we say the apron, the apron could be a distance as great as you can possibly oh, yeah. imagine. Mm-hmm. I think the longest putt I took while I was there was something like 50 yards, Yeah, you know, yards, yep. right? And I'm like, you wouldn't believe it. But sometimes just the way the layout of some of those links courses are, the fairway and, and running up to the green is cut almost as tight as, as the green oh yeah i mean it is it is tight mm-hmm. and uh we're playing with you know gavin from Shotscope, who locally lives there he's an incredible golfer and when he told me i was faced with this one you know nothing really in my way no bunkers nothing like that there's a really long runway and and a very difficult green that would have been tough to hold with a pitch shot and he said i'd put it i can't do gavin's accent but right. <laughs> he said i'd put it and i'm like Come on, is he just, you know, twisting my arm? And he's right. like, no, no, putt it. And did. And I was able to put it within about 15 feet, there you go. which I can't yeah. say I would have done with a pitch shot. Of course, shot. right. So it's interesting. Um, but reading through some of your responses here. Yeah, um, before we go through these, though, I'm curious to yeah. see. I'm not even scrolling down yet how many people are going to choose the hybrid. That's a popular thing. That is true. So we'll see. And the hybrid is another. It's a versatile club because it is a club, a good club to use for those little tight live Right, use it shots. like a putter. Yeah. You get a little bit of loft, get it out. But we'll see. We'll see what people say. I like that. I like that. Um, all right. So we got, just right off the bat, some quick answers. Keith says chip. 
and Scott Walker says 100% putt. So okay. there's two guys who are very confident one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that it's because, like I said, it's that confidence that they have with it. Um, Kirk, here, yeah, what do you got? Main course. I wanted to read this one yep. because I think this is cool because he included his shot scope uh, stats in here. He said, if I can putt, I putt. I have more control and more accuracy. For me, it's an easy decision. Exception is if there's a good amount of longer grass in front of me that will slow the ball down quickly. And he shows his putting percentage from that distance on shot scope at 24%. There you go. But that makes the case like you had said, Mike. It really depends on the lie. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because nobody's putting through the thick stuff. No. No. And and even, I mean, I don't want to you know alter the question, but then you got the ball that's against the rough but still on the apron. So you can't really drag a putter back through it. Yes, that's the worst lie. I think. But in that's the game. where Spreck taught me that shot. That's right. Remember, I mean, this is a one of those do not try this at home. It, it's difficult unless you've got the man Spreck standing over you and, and telling you what to do. But he actually had me turn my club and and just pop it out with this the the nose the toe you know the yeah. toe of the club yep. and just pop it out. But that was when it was just into the rough and just resting there. But yeah, any type of real thick rough it's immediately going to grab that putter head and just stop it. Oh, yeah. That's where you need the one. wedge to mm-hmm. kind of cut through. Uh, we got a, we got a couple of putts here. Hunter Brown, he definitely putt. If I can learn how to chip, I would definitely get into the 80s. Kinger 89, always putt. Bad putt, much better most times than a chip. There you, you know? go. And that's all about knowing your game. Um, Kevin, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name here, but he says, depends on the pin placement. I trust my chips when the pin is on the far half of the green. If it's closer, I putt. Uh, so that's a good kind of nuance there too, and understanding that knowing that it's not all one way or the other. And he's saying that if, if he's got some distance and room to work with, he's got some more breathing room. He doesn't have to hit a putt quite as hard. He can chip. Um, and I get that because there's some variations of saying, I would rather hit a soft chip than a really smacked putt. Absolutely. I totally get that. Um, but you know, for me, it's all about getting that ball on the green and rolling. I think the very Variable for me is in the air. If I was a better golfer and I was good at chip, like really good at yeah. chipping, I'd be able to rely on it more. But it's also knowing yourself and knowing your boundaries. And one of my boundaries is I'm not any type of scratch golf level chip, you know, chipper. So yeah. I like to get that ball rolling on the ground with some consistency that I'm used to with a putter. Yeah, and it's, you know, we see guys like you know, I think Rory did it recently at, at Tiger's new course. He chipped off the green because he had like a ridge to go over. Those guys yeah. don't even touch like the blades of grass. I know. It's incredible. Or you ever see where, where um, Justin Thomas chipped on the green? Yeah, that's what I mean. For, on saying, the green. I thought he you was, said off the green. No, I'm sorry. He was on the bottom of the green, Rory, and he had like a slope to go oh, up top. Okay, yeah. So he chipped it up to the top layer. The one I saw was with JT where he actually, there was some sort of impression or something, maybe a spike mark I or something, that. and he just couldn't get a flat roll on it for putting. He chipped it chipped over it. and chipped it in. And amazing. But these guys, the amount yeah. of control they have, I mean, these guys live with a golf club in their hand. Oh, yeah. They are literally playing mm-hmm. golf 365 days a year, you know. And that's, again, it's knowing your limitations. Just because you saw JT do it on TV on Sunday doesn't mean yeah, you should try it on, on Monday, right? I mean, it's all about knowing yourself and giving yourself the best opportunity. We always say that the real way to lower your scores is to reduce the number of mistakes. And the way to reduce those mistakes is to play the shots that you're familiar with. Yep. And if the shot that you're familiar with is putting, putt it. Um, I like this one from Manny79 because it's a little different. He says, chip it most definitely. I find it difficult to judge pace when putting through the collar. It's, you know, that's yep. true because mm-hmm. when the collar, there's a couple things. Then you get that little bit longer grass, 
If it's wet, that's another variable. Mm -hmm. The grain becomes a much bigger variable because if you've got long grass grain at you, it's going to slow that ball much more. I can't tell you how many times I have been surprised by, unpleasantly surprised by trying to putt from pretty far off and and just finding that it, it checks way up short because that grass slowed it down more than I thought. Oh, yeah. Or vice versa, it rolls through that short, quote unquote, short grass hotter than expected. Yeah. Um, here, we'll do one more. We'll wrap it up. Alex Napier says, Arnie always said, if you can putt it, do so. If I can, I will. Yeah. Hey, again, Arnie it's great it. advice. And the advice really comes from so many golfers are far more familiar with their putter than they are with chipping with a wedge because it just happens more often. No matter what round of golf you play, you're going to putt at least 25 to 35 times, right? But you may chip once or twice. Yeah, that makes so sense. So it's just, it's just the familiarity that comes from doing it over and over and over again. Um, but, hey, it's, it's a good lead-in because today's topic, like I said, we're going to talk about putting. We're going to talk about putting on fast greens. But before we do, what do you say, Mike? Let's do a word from our sponsor. Yeah, let's do it. This episode's brought to you by ShotScope, the all-in-one GPS and stat tracking watch. Uh, guys, buddy of mine, this is a funny story. Buddy of mine reached out just last night. He uh, sent me a text and he goes, hey, Mike, looking for a new GPS device, um, <clears throat> something that I could just go out and play and, and get some yardages. So I wrote back and said, you got to check out the ShotScope G3. Yeah, for you because I know Brian. He's not into stats. He just wants the GPS. He wants those front, middle, back. And he said, "I want to just be laser-like, all that good stuff." And I know you've been talking about shot scope, but can I wear a watch while I play golf? That was his follow-up question. And I was like, "You can," because the new version is smaller. It's sleeker. It's literally the size of an Apple Watch. You know, yep. if not maybe a little smaller. It's lighter, if anything, and you barely know that it's there. So it's become, it's funny, you and I always joke, it's like second nature. When we don't have it on and we're out on a golf course just filming like a one hole or something or doing something else, we always tend to look down because it's like muscle memory. Yeah, yeah. And when it's right. not there, we're so confused. We don't know what to do. But you will rely on it. You will love it. Trust us. We've been using it for years now. Check them out. Visit shotscope.com slash golficity. Get in the game with arguably the best GPS golf watch on the market. Yeah, and if you want to gift one to a golfer, what I like is no subscription fees. So you're given that gift and you're not worried about you're, you're committing somebody to something. Yeah, smart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And last, just want to thank FootJoy, the number one outerwear brand in golf, committed to helping us extend the golf season as long as possible. They provide us with the best gear to make everyday playable. The new Hydro Series line of rain jackets includes several options that provide the ultimate protection wherever you're teeing it up this fall and winter. Hydrolite. Lightweight summer rain jacket for golf in Florida, places like that where it's a little warmer, but the rain is falling. Uh, Mid-layers, places like California, Carolinas, uh, or even up here, we that hydro tour keeps us warm. Uh, it allows us to fl you know swing through that ball. You don't even know you're wearing a jacket. I absolutely love that jacket, and it is 100% waterproof. So play more golf this year. Get the gear you need to play in any condition. Yes, that means snow, guys. Yeah. You can play in it. <laughs> Visit footjoy.com slash MEDP. Yeah, and don't overlook playing indoors. The, yep. I would say the, a lot of us play indoors this time of year, the Flex. Oh, yeah. The Flex is such a great shoe because it's it's a sneaker you can just wear there to your indoor facility, and then you feel comfortable. You've got some traction, real stability. You can play indoors, so that's what we do. I haven't worn another sneaker in years. Yeah. Just the Flexes. Just the Flex. best. Plus, I love the, uh, the, the waterproof version yep. because mm -hmm. if you do get this sloppy weather, you're fine. Um, all right. Diving into this week's topic. Um, first, Mike, let's just talk about this. We've played and we've had the good fortune of playing a lot of, of courses with very fast greens. I mean, the first one that comes to mind, 
Arcola. Arcola was was quick. Which is just notorious for mm-hmm. fast greens. Uh, but that's, you know, it, it's not a bad thing. I mean, all of the members there, everyone, they speak in a very, you know, endearing way about it. They like those fast greens and it's a challenge. No doubt it adds a challenge to it. Um, but on any day you're running at anywhere from, a, I think on the lowest would be a 12. You're running 13, 13. sometimes and even dialed up higher 14s on the stimp. Uh, those are really fast greens. Um, we also had the, uh, the opportunity to play Hamilton farm, another, fast green course what are the ones you remember oh man i mean this year there was some some good clubs we played with fast greens but just thinking like all time i mean just stepping on courses like bay hill yeah playing Plainfield. i mean of course both were you know pga tour stops one right. was the pro-am Plainfield was uh media day for the barclays uh you paid you played Beth Page on her PGA. How, how were the greens there? Do you the, remember? The Be- Beth Page was, was pretty darn quick as yeah. well, and that was just like mid mid summer because it was it was That's right. leading into it. Yep, pretty darn quick. Um, I remember Kiwa was was quick. Any of those higher the higher uh, caliber caliber courses, courses mm-hmm. the, the ones that that have some sort of PGA Tour. Balti's always quick. Always yeah, quick. you know that they're not going to be slow. I mean, I think the slowest you're ever going to get those courses is if you play maybe four or five days leading up to it before a tournament where the let it grow a little bit just mm-hmm. so they can really slice it down right um, but no matter what they're all they're all really been quite quick and for those of the those of you who are new to the game and you're like what's the stimp what are these numbers 13 14 and we did a measurement on our putting green here in the studio and this thing is literally a pool table it's yeah, felt it's fast, on a yeah. flat level it was running at like 15 yeah so 15 in, in my eyes is, is pool table speed and our cola that day for the club championship being the next day was running about a 14, like 13, 5, 14. Yeah. So literally almost pool tables. Right. So that's what that means. Now, we're normally playing like muni courses, things like that. Those are usually at an 8 to 9. Right. And then your average country club is going to be like 10 to 11. Yeah. And for our, our like our newest, freshest golfers who might be thinking, what are these numbers you're throwing at me? What's a stim? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a very simple uh, calculation that's used universally in golf where really as rudimentary as it can possibly be yeah, so for simple. good reason mm-hmm. because it, it kind of takes any type of guesswork out. There's just a stick that is it's called a stimp meter at a certain length where there's a golf ball sits on it. And when you raise it up to the, the appropriate angle, the golf ball releases and rolls down. And the number is just how many feet it rolls out on its own. Right. So if it rolls out eight feet and stops, it's rolling at an eight. If it rolls out 15 feet and stops, there you're thinking already it's almost twice as fast as an eight. Yep. So it gives you an idea of how fast they are. But I going back to what we mentioned before, I thought this was an interesting kind of tidbit that we learned when we played over in Scotland. There are other factors, environmental factors, that will also limit a golf course because you na- naturally would start to think, okay, places like the old course, and again, there's in that same type of PGA Tour type of caliber, they're going to be lightning quick. Well, they they had told us they can only make them just so quick. They actually had to slow them down a bit because there, where you have that wind exposure, right. They have to be able to get that golf ball to settle and stop. If you got a very high wind golf course, even Kiowa here in the States can be similar to that. And there's other ones. The grounds crew actually has to keep it at a certain level where they can't go beyond that of speed because at some point, like a pool table, those balls are just going to be whimsically rolling around everywhere. So we do water and sand. They just. They just let it grow in a little just more, just how tight that you're going to cut it. Got Plus, it. there's a lot of other factors. There's the grass type, yep. and there's things like that. But I just thought that was an interesting tidbit that on those really windy courses, you actually will end up having 
greens that are just a, sh- a sh- tad bit slower because they need that ball to actually come to a rest at yeah, some makes sense. point. Otherwise, it's going to keep moving around. So I thought that was a really interesting thing. But again, that's kind of like the groundwork. But I, as I said earlier, I, I like fast greens. I like fast greens. They're often true. Yeah. I mean, do you remember that feeling on any of those coastal courses we played in Scotland? Like, or even at Kiowa, did you find that they were not blazing fast? Yeah, I, I think that wasn't the takeaway for me was the blazing fast greens. It was the other challenges. It was oh, the yeah. wind. It was the water. Like West Langs. I mean, I don't remember the greens. This was so windy that day. Exactly. We couldn't keep the ball in the fairway. <laughs> exactly. You know? It was It was the, the there's every course. It was so interesting about golf in general is every course has different defenses, different ways exactly. to punish you. And in that way, it was the wind. And then if you missed a fairway, you were done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas there's other greens, that uh, other courses, I'm thinking already like uh, Hamilton Farm nice cushy wide fairways that give you a lot of confidence off the tee because you can hit the ball and you feel like you're going to be safe yep. but then knowing your approach is where the defense is going to come in you've got to be able to it's going to be a fast green it's going to be a tough green you got to be able to to get it there and plus that course every course is different that course is seriously protect, protected by some of them the deepest bunkers i've ever seen oh yeah inside. oh yeah you missed a green and you were in one of those add two three strokes yeah because, it was like two stories tall ooh, to get up and that up. was dumb mm-hmm. but all right so so Fast greens, what does it come down to? Because as a golfer, somewhere in your journey, you're going to experience fast greens one way or another. Um, and what it really comes down to is is having a great feel with your putter. So one thing I would suggest is don't change anything that day because it's faster greens with your putter because now you're introducing a level of inconsistency. It's more so, again, laying the groundwork of knowing that you work on your foundations of your of your putting stroke and your putting grip and things like that, knowing that you are going to encounter them. So this is where more so it's the, the fundamentals are going to be that much more important. Right. Right. And we just did a podcast just not too long ago on putting grip pressure. Mm-hmm. So if you guys didn't check that one out, go back and check it out because this is where Putting grip pressure is going to matter even more than it does on a course with a little bit more forgiving, slower greens. Mm. But but course but greens can get just as difficult the other way if they're very slow. I've had more struggles on slow greens because my eyes telling me they're fast. Yep, and, and you're leaving I, them I'm way get, short. Leaving them way short. Um, but ultimately, it all comes down to pace. Uh, we talked about this before, speed and pace. And one big major way to make sure you're getting that right is your grip pressure. Make sure you're using a light enough grip pressure that you have control. Um, if you start to get too much, and this will happen too. We talked about this in that episode. We said one thing that introduces you holding the club too tight is stress, pressure. And naturally, there's going to be stress stress and pressure when you have in your mind, these greens are a little bit scary. Yeah. They're a little fast. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you grip it tighter and you lose a little bit of your feel. And if you need feel, it's when you're playing fast greens. So understanding and being aware, being a more aware golfer, and being aware that, hey, these are faster greens, that subconsciously is making me a little bit tense. Let me make sure in my pre-shot routine, I'm relaxing my grip a bit. I like it. Otherwise, you get punchy on those fast greens, you're If you're gripping it, you're punching it, they're so fast that the ball's gone. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. You're done. So what adjustments would you actually make when you're out there? Well, one thing is you're going to want to play more break. Oh yeah. And the, mm-hmm. the most simple way to distill this down. And the reason why is sometimes on slower greens, you can get away with playing a little bit less break by just putting a little more pace on it. And people say you push it kind of through the break. You kind of take the break out of it. 
But in this case, the risk and the chance of blowing it way by the hole comes into factor a lot more here. So whereas, like I said, on a slower green, you might be able to put more pace on it, less break and still get it in the hole. Here, if you start to play a little bit too much with trying to take you know, more pace, less break, there's a good chance you're going to end up with those three putts because your first putt is going to roll five, 10 feet past the hole. Yeah. And I like this idea that's, that's labeled here about, you know, next round looking at, you know, where you miss your putts low or high yeah. to determine if you're giving it enough break, you know, because how many times do we miss it on the low side? Right. You know, because we're, well, me personally speaking for myself, if I'm facing a very scary fast putt, Odds are I'm leaving it short or, or missing on the low side. I'm just afraid to hit it too hard. Yeah. As are, you know, a lot of us. So, you know, it's interesting here. Count how many you do in the in the front nine or the back nine and just see where you're missing. Right. Uh, but then I guess the question is how how do you practice? How do you take how do you how do you improve upon it? Well, I think one thing would be just learning to read more break into it. I think this is an interesting thing too. Again, we always talk about the things that as we learn, we're we're not professional golfers, we're not instructors, we're guys who are learning the game. And as we learn it, we talk about it here. One big thing as we learn is I'm learning more and more that the better golfers are just more aware. They're more tuned in mm -hmm. to what's happening out there. And evidence of that is when we got our lesson, I had that putting lesson at Baltusrol, right? Right. And one of the first, he's, he's just kind of running through my game to get a diagnosis like a doctor would. Like a doctor's asking what your symptoms are, right? And you're aware, well, my nose is running, whatever it is. He goes, are you missing more balls on the high side or the low side? And that way he was quickly trying to diagnose what is my reading technique? Because I told him I'm having trouble reading greens. And he's and he's diagnosing that to see, am I playing enough break? Now, if I pose that question to you and you don't have the answer, the first question is, how much attention are you playing? Are you paying to your, your putting? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not aware, if you're missing more high or more low, you're just kind of out there and just, you know, almost unaware of what the issue is. You can't get a good diagnosis unless you know what the issue is. Right. So again, going back for some of our really newer golfers, um, let's say you're looking at a putt that breaks right to left. If you miss it on the left, you're missing on the low side. If you miss it on the right, you're missing on the high side. So that's what we mean when we say lower high side. So one thing you can do is first just be aware of it. Go out there, like we said, Take, take a look at your putts, mark it down. How many did you miss on the low? How many did you miss on the high side? And then from there, you'll be able to start to realize, hey, am I, am I not playing enough break? Right. And, and then that's one thing that especially will come into play again. When you play those fast greens, tune it up a little bit. Say, you know, my strategy today is going to be to play more break. Yeah, so that man. you don't have to have that pace where you're like, I would rather play less break miss the putt but be tap in, tap range, in range then right blow it through i mean anybody right. would of course right so that's important um and another one is, is just a proper warm-up ah uh, something we don't do we do this all backwards we, don't we we barely yeah it's like we we are so nervous about what our first tee shot is going to be mm -hmm. like hey we all do it right so we're like we hit the range hard and just try to like work it out and get whatever we need done but what we don't realize is that if we want to score that day, scoring happens on the greens. So if you have a limited amount of time to warm up for your round, um, obviously all the important things, stretching, whatever, this is why you want to give yourself more time. We've talked before about how to prepare for a round. The more time you have, the more prepared you're going to be. Sure. Look at the PGA Tour pros. Mm -hmm. Those guys start warming up two hours before their round. Yeah. You remember Bay Hill? 
Under the yeah. lights. Under the lights. 5.30 a.m. Those guys were there 5.30 in the morning, lights on on the range. Every one of them doing 45 minutes on the range and probably 45 minutes on the putting green before they even went out. Yep. That doesn't include the stretching that they probably did with their stretching coaches and everything else in the locker room. Those are practice days. Yeah. 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 So that if that tells you anything. But, again, what what it comes down to is – you know, being able to get a feel for the greens and, and a good golf course is going to have a, pu- a practice putting surface that's rolling very similarly to what the, the holes are rolling when you get out there. And a lot of another going back to the PGA Tour pros, when you ask them a lot of the reason why they're on the range working is they're not necessarily changing their swing that day. Right. right? They may be working on something with their coach, but for the most part, they are locking in the conditions of the day. They're seeing what shots they can play. They're seeing how the wind is playing that day, the humidity, the heat, anything that's affecting that day, the altitude. They're getting an idea of how that ball is flying that day so that they can apply that out on the course. Similarly, when you go on the putting surface, when you're putting, you're getting an idea of how are they rolling and what do I need to do to be prepared? Because the last thing you want to do, and guilty, Guilty. I mean, we've done it where we, especially with filming, we're busy, we run out there, and it takes the first three holes before we get an idea of the pace. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then what is that? It's a lot left on the table. Right. You know? And you're absolutely right. Yeah. So that's a tough one. But, but again, it can be easily avoided by just giving yourself that little extra time on the putting surface, practicing before you go out, hit a couple of long ones. We talked yeah, about Yeah, and it doesn't to have to coast, be much. Yeah. Right? Just get an idea of those mm-hmm. lag putts and how they are. Hit a couple medium putts. Just get a feel that day for what, what you're looking at. Yeah. You know? Couldn't agree more. Um, and another thing, too, is, is just setting yourself up for success by thinking one step earlier we talk about this too a lot where we say good golfers have good course management they're thinking strategy when they're out there so one thing that they're thinking is on their approach they're already thinking of their putt and this mike kind of lines up with what you're saying like pool or billiards yep a good player is going to look at their shot but thinking ahead of where that cue ball is going to land so that they can play their next shot. Mm-hmm. Similarly, as a good golfer, you want to look at that green and say, really, especially on a fast green, I want to be putting uphill. So trying to move your target or move your distance so that you're adapting to where you're going to be underneath the hole, the low side of the hole, so that that way you're putting uphill. Because trust me, you take a 14-speed green, and you putt downhill, good luck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is one of the hardest. Talk about playing a lot of break. It yeah. is one of the hardest things to do in golf. Be prepared for a 10-footer back uphill. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you can set yourself up with success by looking to get your approach shot below that hole, just that little bit of an incline is going to take some of that speed off and going to allow you to have a little bit. You can put a little bit more pace there. You can maybe play through the break a little bit more because you've got that hill slowing things down. Mm-hmm. But man, positioning your ball for an uphill putt is going to change things for you dramatically. Absolutely. You know, that's the dream spot. That's where you want to be. You want to be putting uphill. You always want. You know, to be you always want to be putting uphill, it, guys. You if you could do it, go for it. Um, and here's the last tip. Tip number five here. And this, this is interesting. This is something to yeah. use very sparingly and to practice before you go out there. But one thing you can do, and and the only time that I've ever used this, is on a very fast downhill putt where it almost feels like you can't hit that ball light enough to not blow it by. One thing that you can do is you can adjust where you make contact on the face and try to hit out on the toe of the golf of the of the putter. What'll happen there is the sweet spot obviously of your putter is what's going to 
move the ball with the, the most impact, the most inertia. Out on the toe, what's going to happen is if you make contact, that club is going to just kind of, it's going to give a little bit. It's going to open up. And so effectively with the same speed stroke, you're applying less force onto the ball. Mm. We talk about with like driver, like smash factor and stuff like that, right. which is the transfer of energy from club to ball. So as you generate swing speed, you're generating energy. The next step is to transfer that energy to the ball. With a putter, you're doing the same thing. With the sweet spot, you're transferring almost all of the energy you generated with that with that stroke to the ball. But if you hit it out on the toe, you're only transferring a portion of that energy. Yeah. So it, it a lot of people say it, it deadens it. It deadens the putt a little bit. Makes sense. But here I'm going to tell you again, try it before you go out there. Try hitting a couple practice putts off the toe of your club and see what effect it has on the pace so that you're aware of it and you know how it's going to react. Once you do, again, another thing to add to your arsenal, and it it does work. It will really slow it down and deaden it quite a bit. It, but yep. it's so unpredictable, I only like to use it in the most extreme situations. Yeah, I mean, I've never used this before. Because I never yeah. thought of it until yeah. now. When we're done here, we'll try it here on our pa- practice. Try it on our 15-5 stimp green yeah. over there. Yeah, you'll be almost shocked at, at how much it takes off. Plus, it also helps you get a better awareness of, of the way the club works because you realize that that sweet spot is really transferring the most energy. Yeah, And this is mm-hmm. where, too, becoming a great putter, like you, you look at Tiger Woods' putter, and there's the wear mark right there in the sweet spot where he hits it every time. And that just shows you consistency also comes from hitting on the same spot of the face because the slightest variations in towards the heel or out towards the toe is going to transfer less energy, which is ultimately going to lead to less pace. Mm. So if it's not something you did purposefully, you're going to have to, you're going to see that it, that the pace that you thought you were going to apply to the ball is not what ultimately ends up happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a uh, it's an interesting one, but anyway, you know those, you were you were putting off the toe for a while unintentionally, and yeah, then I, you fixed that stroke with well, Matt. Well, I still go out a little bit out towards the toe. Yeah, I mean my, my impact spot on my putter is just a slightly out a little bit, and, and that doesn't mess you up at all. Well, here's the thing: a lot of people have pointed out in the comments yeah. too, and uh, I asked, I asked, I asked Matt, and I asked other coaches as well. And they said they were far less less concerned with where I was hitting it on the face and far more concerned that I was hitting it on the same spot on the face. Okay. So even looking at a Sam putt lab, which is kind of like a trackman for putting, mm-hmm. notice that you know five out of five putts, I'm hitting it pretty much on that same spot. So that's where that consistency for me comes in. So for me, I think it would be introducing another variable to try to change that. I did change it a little bit when, when Spreck had me shorten the putter a little mm-hmm, bit, mm-hmm. Um, just so it was more below my eye line. But but trying to change that would introduce a new variable. If if the difference would be if I was all over the face on sometimes I was out towards the toe and sometimes I was on the sweet spot, then it'd be like there's no consistency here. Right. But if you're consistently doing it on the same spot, then you know Then you're all good. Right. You're pretty much good. To, okay. You know. Unless it's some, unless that spot is something dramatic, like every time you're hitting it way out off the toe, right. like a ball out towards the toe, right. is a problem. We're talking about here millimeters. Okay. You know. Yep. 
But anyway, those are our five tips for putting on fast greens. Like I said, they're, fast greens can be a real treat and a real challenge uh, if you know what you're doing. And if you if you try these tips, I guarantee it's going to help you. Uh, but as we always say every week, you know, if you guys have some of your own tips, something that worked for you when you put on fast greens, let us know. Drop them in the comments. Uh, you can also post them in the Facebook group um, where we can kind of discuss them more and, and learn. There's only so much you can cover in a half hour to 45 minute podcast. So, um, if you got more tips, let's keep the conversation going and let us know. Love it. Yeah. So everybody, as we wrap up the new year, we'll be the first to say happy new year to everybody. Yeah, happy new year. Happy Goodbye. New year. 2020. Oof. I think everybody <laughs> is really excited to see 2020 in the rear view mirror. Oh yeah, that's for sure. So here's to a better 2021. And like I said, when we come back next week, we're going to come back with our big goals episode, which is one of our favorite episodes every year. And, uh, we'll also bring you guys into the conversation a little bit by having you post some of your goals in the comments and in the Facebook group. So if you don't have goals set for 2021, start thinking of them because we will, uh, we're going to ask you. We're going to have a pop quiz. Yep. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. All right, guys, you can get to the show notes by going to golfacy.com slash episode 355 or as always in the Golficity app. And we'll see everybody again next week. <laughs>